I invite you to turn to 1 Peter chapter 5 in your Bibles. So Peter wrote this letter to the church to teach us how to endure in a society that does not value us because they do not value Jesus. And while maintaining that suffering is a part of every Christian's life, Peter encourages us to see affliction as one more means of Christ's likeness. We suffer because our Savior suffered. And he teaches us the importance of our Christian community here, our Christian community in helping each other walk in genuine joy in Jesus despite affliction, a joy that nobody else can take away from us. So in chapter 5, Peter summarizes and signs off his letter. His summation is pretty clear. He says, you must remain faithful to Jesus. You must remain faithful to Jesus in spite of social conditions, in spite of family conditions, in spite of potential dangers. And you do this, or this is how you do this, by living obediently in community with each other. And so this community message is what Peter has given to us to demonstrate to the world. And that's what chapter 5 is all about. The well-being of our Christian community as a testimony, as a witness to the world about the reality of Jesus Christ. And in this text today, Peter is going to acknowledge that there is a real devil who is a real enemy, who really hates the Lord, and who will really seek to tempt us away from having any gospel witness or any gospel influence on others. Now, in this text today, you're going to see that Peter is going to address a generational challenge within the church. And what that means to us is this. There's always been a generational challenge within the church. That is not new to the day that we live in today. In the church, older people can talk very arrogantly to younger people. And Peter says in the church, younger people can do the same and talk very arrogantly to older people. Now, Peter's point is this. Such carnal communication plays right into the hands of the devil. Such kind of communication within the body of Christ effectively destroys our witness to the surrounding community, to anybody who comes and visits us and sees what is going on. And so for the sake of the gospel and for the sake of our gospel witness together to the community, Peter calls each one of us, young and old, to humility in how we see each other and in how we deal with one another, particularly when there's times of disagreement. So let's read Peter's summary advice to the church on how we can help each other endure the hardships of life together and at the same time certainly not hinder our gospel witness to the community around us. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 1. Peter says, So I exhort the elders among you, 
as a fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight not under compulsion but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so at the proper time he may exalt you. Casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls about like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of sufferings are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. And then after his salutations, Peter gives the closing benediction in verse 14. He says, peace to all of you who are in Christ Jesus. Amen. Now, it is a bit ironic that it is Peter who is telling us not to deny Christ, but rather to remain faithful. After all, it is Peter who denied Christ three times during the crucifixion. And so certainly at that time, when Peter is denying Christ during the crucifixion, at that time, Peter is on the outs. At that time, Peter can't be proud of himself. Nobody can be proud of Peter at that time. So I'm sure you have heard the phrase, he or she is the black sheep of the family, right? He or she is the black sheep of the family. Well, that term originated hundreds of years ago when a single black sheep, because of recessive gene traits, would be born into a flock of white sheep. The black wool at that time was not as valuable as the white wool simply because it could not be dyed. And so the black sheep of the flock was considered a bad thing. Well, as time went by, that phrase sort of evolved and sort of came to designate someone in the family who's sort of the oddball out, who's sort of the oddball out, who doesn't seem to fit in with the rest of the group for whatever reason. Now, don't raise your hand, but how many at one time have considered yourself maybe the oddball, the black sheep of the family. You know, in the Christian circles that I grew up in over the last several decades, sometimes the black sheep of the flock could have just been the teenager in the youth group who sort of didn't go along with everybody else in the youth group or in the Christian school, who just seemed to inordinately chafe under the standards of the school, you know, or, or, or under the direction of the youth group. They questioned authority, worst of all, 
They were considered oddballs or the black sheep because they just didn't blindly accept the authority of or the teaching of all of their Bible teachers. They dared to question. They dared to question. And so, you know, the funny thing is, is in hindsight now, after three decades of ministry, I can truthfully say that the black sheep in my youth group, some of those who actually questioned the teachings that came to them, I can honestly say that the black sheep in the youth group often turned out to be the most passionate ministers of the gospel. They actually ended up being the very best teachers of God's word, and some of them became the most influential reachers out there in the world. Now, I'm not saying they, weren't, they were rebels. They were not rebels. They were simply questioning what they, want, what they were told. They were simply questioning what they were taught. Now, granted, they may not have always questioned in the most tactful, wise manner. They may not have been always so tactful when they asked a question, but here's the thing. In the long term, looking back, with 30 years of hindsight, I tell you, they ended up being better for having asked the questions. They ended up more confident in the development of their own answers to Bible questions and to life's questions. They ended up being more confident. Well, Peter is a perfect example of this. Peter starts out as the black sheep of the disciples, only to become later the leader of the apostles. Here in chapter 5, Peter is a pastor and he's talking to other pastors. The term elder is used to denote the pastoral oversight of a flock. And Peter begins in verse 1 by saying, I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder. And then Peter talks to young people in the flock, receiving the leadership of the elders. And he begins in verse 5 by saying, likewise, you who are younger. And so Peter is addressing the elders of the church, and at the same time, Peter is addressing the youngers in the church. And he begins by saying, I'm one of you. So what I'm going to say to you is this. In general, Peter is speaking about principles that pertain to the elders and the relationship with the youngers, if you will. But these principles that Peter is going to speak to us today from this text don't just apply to pastors and young people. These principles apply to parents uh, and their teens, principals and their teachers, teachers and their students, older women who are counseling younger women. These principles apply to any younger and older relationship that might exist within the church in all of its various forms. And so let's first look at the black sheep lesson to the elders. Peter has come a long way, hasn't he? From the very early days to the leader of the apostles, I think you and I in Jesus, as the years roll by, we hope we can say the same thing about ourselves. We sure have come a long way. Whatever I was after I first got saved or whatever I was in my youth, I sure have come a long way. I know we all want to say the same thing about ourselves. And Peter begins by addressing the elders and says, I'm one of you. I'm one of you. And then he gives his real bona fides, bona fides, for those of you that are smarter than me. Okay? Then he gives his real bona fides. He says, I, who am a fellow elder, here it is, and a witness of the sufferings of Christ. 
a personal witness. So, Peter knows Jesus personally. Peter has studied under Jesus personally. Peter is an eyewitness to all the sufferings and the death, burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so when Peter speaks, Peter does not have to demand respect. Peter commands respect because he is a personal disciple of the Lord Jesus himself. And so Peter is saying his whole identity for understanding life is now wrapped up in his understanding of who Jesus is now and who he is in Jesus. And so Peter is saying his whole motivation for life is wrapped up on what he has promised by Jesus Christ in the future. His whole motivation for living life now is impassioned by what he has promised by Jesus in the future. Peter says, I'm a witness of the suffering of Christ as well as a partaker of the glory that is going to be revealed. I am a witness of Jesus, but my promise is that I am a partaker of the glory that is coming. The glory that most assuredly is going to be revealed. Now here's how you know that you have accumulated the wisdom of an elder and not just the gray hair of an older. You get this. You understand this. That between your identity in Christ and your reward coming from Christ, that's where you live life. You're an elder, a wise elder, when you really get that between your identity in Jesus Christ, who you are in Jesus right now and what that means, and the promise that you will be a partaker in the, the glory that is coming to be revealed. In between that is where you live life. Here's how you know that you have matured in the faith. That's where you live your life. So first, let us remind ourselves of what Peter had to, get to go through to get where he is today because it's the same thing that you and I go through. In other words, Peter didn't get to the top until he first experienced the bottom. Here's a guy who followed Jesus the whole three years of his earthly ministry. Here's a guy, to his credit, who walked away from his profession, from being a fisherman on the Sea of Galilee, to walk with Jesus to become a fisher of men. But throughout this school of life that Jesus is teaching him about, Jesus, Peter continues to be the odd man out. He's the guy who just doesn't seem to be getting it. He's the impetuous one. He's the challenging one. He's the one who is going to test the very patience of Jesus himself. He's the wild child. He's the black sheep of the apostles in the early days. So Peter, or Jesus, wants to teach servant leadership. And Jesus wants to illustrate his point. How? by washing the disciples' feet. And what does Peter do? Peter pulls his feet away and says, no, you're never washing my feet, Lord. He misses the whole point. It was never about dirty feet. Jesus tells them 
his disciples, I'm going to be betrayed, and this needs be. And I am going to be given over to the authorities so that on the third day, I can be raised. And what does Peter say? Uh-uh. That's not going to happen to you, Lord. Not on my watch. He misses the point entirely. It was never about Jesus losing control to the point where Peter had to take control. He misses it entirely. Jesus presents himself to his attackers that night in the Garden of Gethsemane for what has to happen. What has been ordained by God to happen, Jesus presents himself, and what does Peter do? He pulls out a sword and lops off one of their ears. He misses the point entirely. It was never about fighting so that Jesus would live because Jesus was born to die. Peter misses it. Peter is the kid who takes two steps backwards for every step forward. Peter is the one who causes the parent to put their head down in their hands and say, is this kid ever going to get it? Is the light bulb ever going to come on? He is fast to act and slow to think. I totally get this. This was me. This is what my father always accused me of. This is what a lieutenant colonel told me when I was a lieutenant. I remember the night I married, I married Peg and I'm leaving home. I'm going off. We're leaving from Colorado. I'm going to drive my new bride and join the Marines. I'm driving to Quantico, Virginia. And it's the, it's the middle of the night, which is when I always get Peg up to leave on trips. And so I'm there at my mom and dad's house, got my bride loaded up in the car. My dad puts his arm around me, pulls me inside. And I think, well, good. You know, off to be a lieutenant. Dad's got some words of encouragement and advice to say to me. Dad, dad walks me away. He says, you know, Brad, all your life you open your mouth without thinking. <laughs> and I'm thinking, oh, are you kidding me? You know, uh, and he says, Brad, I want you to stop and think for five seconds before you talk. And then you won't be like every other second lieutenant I ever met. And I thought, well, isn't this lovely? You know, warm, tender words from the chief master sergeant. As I, as I uh, head off from my career in the Marine Corps, here's my dad taking one last chance to give me the hard shot. But in truth, it was, I got in trouble as a second lieutenant for doing the very thing. You know, my dad knew his son. It was me. I'm Peter. I completely get this. You know, when I first entered the ministry even, I wanted to be like Paul, but really, I identified myself with Peter. I'm the guy who just keeps messing up early. I mean so good, but I'm just missing big picture things, and I keep messing up, and I, and I keep talking like I know what I'm talking about, but it's too soon. I actually don't know what I'm talking about. But Peter's ultimate failure occurs on the morning after Jesus' betrayal when the cock crows and Peter realizes that he has denied Christ. He has denied even knowing Jesus three times. And when the going gets tough, Peter didn't get going. Peter got gone. Matthew 26, 75, and Peter remembering the saying of Jesus, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And Peter goes out and does what? He weeps bitterly. He realizes what a colossal failure he is spiritually at this time. I think at this time, Peter realizes he's probably no recovering from this failure. He's really blown it big time. 
There may be no way out from this. Peter is thrown in the towel. I'm going back to becoming a fisherman. I'm going back to do the thing that I know what to do. I'm no good at this. He's ready to throw in the towel. He's like the kid who's going to run away from home because the kid thinks, I can never please my parents. I can't do it. So I'm out of here. You know, and this is Peter. He's at the bottom now. Now, only the power and the person of the resurrected Jesus Christ can pull Peter out of the abyss. Peter is deep in failure. He's at rock bottom. And only the person and the power of the resurrected Jesus can pull him out of it. Here's how that happens. Three times Peter has denied Christ. And now three times the resurrected uh, Jesus asked Peter, Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Finally, on the third time, Peter says, Lord, you know I love you. I know that I'm a failure, but you know that I love you. And Peter says, then feed my sheep. And this is Jesus restoring Peter. This is the power of the, and the person of the resurrected Jesus who can pull us out of the abyss. The spiritual abyss we get into when we're, we think we're a complete failure and we're at rock bottom. And then enter the power of grace. Enter the power of grace for life. Not just the grace that saved you when you needed to be saved. I'm talking about the grace that sustains you. I'm talking about the grace that picks you up and puts your feet out of the miry clay and back on the rock when you have fallen and think there's no getting up for you. I'm talking about the grace that pulls you out of the abyss and puts your feet back on the rock, the rock that is Jesus Christ. Peter's a living testimony of the marvelous reality of grace for all of us to learn from. And some of us at times may fail, may fail Jesus, may even deny him when time gets tough, like at work or at high school, when time gets really tough uh, in, a, in a public university or at the place where you work, when time gets really tough, some of us have failed Jesus and even denied him. But there's Jesus, not giving us what we deserve, but instead giving us grace. There is Jesus teaching us that if we will turn back to him with the same simple faith when we exercise, when we first turn to him for deliverance of sin, then there is Jesus for us when we need him most. And so now by grace, the traitor has turned into a teacher. And the teacher teaches the elders of the church. And here's what he says. If you want to have community strength, stand together. If you want to have a community witness for Christ, then preach God's word and do it with humility. Humility needs to govern how we treat and see each other. He says to the elders, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, here it is, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. There is no blessing for the pastor who leads with imperial authority and with no humility. There is no blessing for the pastor who uses the ministry to enrich himself, Peter says. The blessing goes to the pastor who leads 
after the chief shepherd, none other than Jesus himself. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. But for a church to stand for the witness of Christ, not only must the elders hear the, heed the Lord on humility, so must the younger. And so now we look at the black sheep lessons to the younger. It's easy when you're younger to be arrogant and think you know more than you do. It's easy when you're a teenager to roll your eyes at your parents when they say something. It's easy to do that. It's easy for a seminary student to be hypercritical of the pastor of the church where they go to because the pastor's not doing things the best way, which is how the seminary student, who's got no experience, but it's how the seminary student thinks it ought to be done. For a young officer, a new employee, even an assistant pastor, like I was, to run his or her mouth about the way things ought to be done better than the way they are being done right now. So like I said, I speak with firsthand knowledge. I've been guilty of them all. I had to actually apologize to my dad and even to the two senior pastors I worked for as an assistant pastor. In time, you look back and you, re you read something like this and you realize, oh man, I'm in this story, but I'm not the hero of the story. I'm the mess up in the story. You'll see, you get old enough to where you have kids of your own, you suddenly become aware of the kid that you were. Next thing you know, you're apologizing to your mom. You're apologizing to your dad. You become the senior pastor, and all of a sudden, you realize what you were like as an assistant pastor, and you find yourself apologizing to the senior pastor you look, used to work for. That's me. That's what I did. Peter is speaking as one who failed and tells us our Lord, our Lord says the great need of youth is humility and submission. Verse 5, likewise you younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. Likewise means this, just as the elders need humility, likewise so do you youngers. Everybody needs humility. All of you, clothe yourself in humility. And Peter's warning is actually quite stern. If you don't, here's what happens. God opposes the proud. It means you declare war with God. You invite God to militarily oppose you. Is that what that word means? God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God. Or let me finish the sentence that isn't there. Or be humbled. Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. But just like the elder is promised a reward as motivation, so young people are you promised a motivational reward so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. This isn't a promise that God is going to give you a great job, the choice of who you want to marry, and a trouble-free fairy tale life now and forevermore. That's not what this is promising. This is the promise that when life gets tough, Jesus will be by your side. Even if you can't feel him, he's there. When life is scary and fearful, Jesus will be your strength. When you have nowhere to turn, Jesus will be there for you when you turn to him. 
And Peter says, when the older and the younger are filled with humility in Christ and how they treat each other, Peter says, this is a powerful witness to the world. This is a powerful witness to the community all around us. They don't see that. And when they see it here, nothing testifies to the reality of Christ more than that. Listen, the whole world knows what a rebellious teenager looks like at home. Everybody knows that. Everybody knows what that looks like at home, okay? And so when a, here's the point. If you're a, a teenager and you're a Christ follower, when you actually exercise humility in your relationship with your parents, you're the standout. Everybody knows the other side of it, okay? You're the standout. When you exercise humility in your relationship with your parents and your friends, your fellow teens come over to your house and they see that and they will, boom, that's a powerful witness to the reality of Christ in your life. If nothing else, there are your Neanderthal parents, right? But yet you have a kind spirit to them, a kind humility-oriented spirit toward them. It's a powerful witness to all of your fellow teenagers who also have Neanderthal parents, but you don't rebel. It's powerful. It's what Peter's saying. Now look, the world knows what an arrogant, authoritative boss looks like. So it's a powerful witness when a pastor, a parent, a principal, a husband, or any leader behaves with the humility of Christ and not with the arrogance of a dictator. It's powerful. Your co-workers will see it. A visitor to the church will see it. Everybody under your charge at work or at home will see it. Now let me tell you something, what it means when God opposes the proud if you don't do this. If you're a pastor who doesn't do this, you will lose your church. Either God will take it from you or the people will leave you. Husbands and dads who don't obey this will lose their families. In time, the kids will grow up and as soon as they have the means, they will distance themselves from you and you will grow old lonely. But by grace, you can change. By grace, God changed Peter. By grace, God changed this pastor, this husband, this dad. By grace, you can change. Because Peter's Lord is your Lord. And that grace that brought Peter through it all is available to all who follow Jesus Christ. It's available to you too. If Jesus, so it means this to the Christian young people. Your example is the same, uh, is none other than your Savior. And if Jesus can take upon himself the form of a servant, then so can you. And if Jesus can humble himself to do God's will, then so can you. And so that brings us to the last lesson in the text, the black sheep lessons to all of us, to us all, verses 8 through 10. Peter reminds us there really is an enemy out there. Verse 8, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Resist him, 
Firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of sufferings are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. Now look, Satan is real, but he's not like God. He can't be everywhere at once. Satan is not the cause of every traffic jam that ever occurs out there in the world. Okay? Satan is not the cause of every long line at the grocery store that you experience. So don't be looking behind every single bush for a reason to blame Satan. But neither can you be blind to the reality of Satan. He's real. He exists. Now look, if you lived on the plains of Africa, you wouldn't ignore the roar of a roaring lion. You wouldn't ignore it. So don't ignore it now. There really is a roaring lion out there. There really is one who prowls about seeking to do you harm. He wants to ruin you because he wants to ruin your gospel influence in the world. He hates Jesus, and so he hates you because you're a keeper of Christ's message. He's been around a long time, and he knows what he's doing. He has tactics to tempt you. He has wily methods to discourage you. He has wily uh, methods to ruin your testimony and your gospel message before everybody else. He knows how to tempt you to sin. He accuses you before God. He accuses you to you and tries to get you like Peter to just throw in the towel. It's too hard to follow Jesus. Remember Jesus himself telling Peter, Satan seeks to sift you. And that is true for you and me as well. He seeks to confuse you about what is truth and what is not. He can dominate you even to the point of demonic oppression. Furthermore, he can work his way into government and society, and he can become a tool of sin and oppression to Christians and to Christ's church. So make sure that you get this. Peter is teaching us this, my friends. We don't just have a problem in the family. We don't have a problem in society. We're part of a cosmic war of the ages. We are part of a cosmic war of the ages, of good versus evil, of God versus antichrist. And it would be completely understandable if you really understand and believe in the reality of Satan. It would be completely understandable if you got so scared you were paralyzed, afraid to even go out the door except for one giant thing. Christ has already beaten him. Satan was defeated on the cross. And Christ has given you, if you are in Christ, Christ has given you the strength to resist him. Peter's message about the roaring lion comes to this roaring conclusion, pun intended. You have every reason to be afraid of Satan and all that he can do to you except for one thing. That lion is going to get eaten by the lion of Judah when he returns. The lesser lion is going to get, fall to the greater lion. It's a done deal. It's already a historical event. It's just waiting to happen, but it's promised. That's the whole point of Peter's letter then. Don't live in fear of persecution. Don't live in fear of suffering. Don't live in fear of Satan. Instead, resist the devil and conquer the enemy by living by faith. How do you do that? Only by the grace of God, not because you're tough. Only by the grace of God. And what's your motivation? 
the promises of God, that his coming glory is going to be revealed and it's all going to be fixed. And now Peter's closing words to us. And after you have suffered a little while, verse 10, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. This is Peter saying what the psalmist said, just be still sometimes and know that he is God. Be still and know that he is God. And so, my friends, do you see, in humility, we have nothing to glory in, not in who we are, not in who our church is or ever was. We have nothing to glory in, in and of ourselves. We have all failed the Lord just like Peter. So here's my point. Do you see that Peter, the black sheep, is really just speaking to all the rest of us black sheep? In the story, we are not the white sheep. In the story, we're all the black sheep. Peter's just speaking to fellow black sheep. We all are the black sheep. We all need God's grace. It's only by grace that we are who we are. And it's the gospel that saved us by grace, and it's the gospel that will continue to motivate us to live by grace. And so for those who want to live a life by faith through grace and be an influence in this world for the gospel, Peter says, Humbly submit yourself to God in all suffering, faithfully waiting on Jesus. Remain aware and vigilant of Satan's schemes. Pray regularly for God to give our Christian community strength and unity in Christ. Affirm as you pray the truthfulness of his grace in your life and your need for it. And then commit to learning how to live for the glory of God. Here it is, in community. Commit to learning how to live for the glory of God in community in a culture that values individualism. Commit to learning how to live in community. And so we need to pray for God to strengthen us in community for our own deliverance from suffering in life as we share the gospel of Christ with the community all around us and as we do that for the glory of God. And as Peter says at the end of his letter, peace to all who are in Christ. If we do that, that's what we get. While we wait on Jesus, peace to all who are in Jesus Christ. I invite anybody here today that doesn't know Jesus as their savior to simply see me after the service and let me give you, I'll be at the back door, let me give you this booklet on the real Jesus. You take this booklet, you read about who Jesus is, why he came, why it matters to you. And let me help you with that, please. So a few closing comments, and then I'll pray for you and we'll enjoy the Lord's Supper together. This is my last Sunday with you. I cried. As your interim pastor. So I'll teach Wednesday night, and as soon as I can haul Peg screaming out of the bed early in the morning Thursday, we'll depart. I want to thank you for seven delightful months, which now completes exactly to the day, 30 years of service uh, in the pastorate. After 20 years of service in the same church these past 20 years, I've told many people, I, I feel like an old NFL quarterback who got traded to another team to play his last year. I have to tell you though, it's been the best and blessed year of ministry. 
So Peg and I have fallen in love with this city. Peg and I have fallen in love with this beautiful state. We love living here, but mostly we've fallen in love with you. You gave me a good hearing every time I preached. Best of all, you received us, you warmly uh, supported us, so many dinner invites, so many meals out, so many coffee fellowships. And I especially want to thank all the ladies who took the time to take Peg out to lunch and just uh, be good company to her. We love it here so much. We'll be back at Thanksgiving. We're trying to figure out how to live summers here. You know, I got to work out some way of rent and stuff. We'll, we're trying to figure that out. But uh, so this isn't goodbye. This is just see you a little bit later at Thanksgiving. I pray that you'll receive your new pastor and his family, however God leads you. Uh, once God has revealed that pastor and his family to you, I pray that you will receive them as you have received us. I've already told the guy candidating next Sunday that I have no, no, no better place to raise a family than here. I know of no church that's better located in a city than this church is. I know of no group of people more receptive to the word and to the Lord's work than you are. And so from my perspective, I told him, you're a dream church. I know you've been through a lot getting here. So you old timers are going to have to stop lamenting over who left a while ago. You're going to have to stop lamenting over how the numbers aren't what they used to be. And by the way, that's true of every single church that I know of in our circles, not just you. You need to get excited over the fact that those who stayed are here because they want to be. You need to get excited over the fact that those who stayed, who are sitting here with you right now, stay because they love each other and they want to be with each other every single Sunday when you get to worship. You are the core of a new future that I promise you will have a new season of growth. But you need to let the past go and your future will be bright if you will look to it, to the future, and stop lamenting that things aren't what they used to be. Now, you new folks, and there are several of you now, be part of candidating this new pastor and his family. If the Lord leads the church to vote him in, I've already suggested to him that the first thing he needs to do is establish the new members class that he himself teaches. Listen, when he stands up that new class, whoever the new pastor is, you go to it. Meet this guy. Let him teach you the history of the church. Learn it with him. Let him teach you the doctrine of the church. You guys get to know him and at the same time get to know each other. And that will be that new established group that you will make in this community. And so this is a great time to become a part of it. This is the best time to get in. If you get in on this church right now, this is going to be like you buying a house right at the start of the housing boom. All the good stuff is yet to come. All the good stuff is getting ready to happen. Join it. Jump in. Be a part of an exciting new vision and join it. That is Peter's message to you today, and that's my message to you today. Join the community. Engage the community, and you'll be blessed. I want you to be assured that I will pray for you constantly. And I want you to be assured that your new pastor, whoever that's going to be, is always welcome to call me and talk to me. And you be assured that Peg and I will be back as often as we can. We love you. We thank God for you. We pray God's best blessings yet to come for you. So when I was a kid, 
All the good movies end with the guy getting the girl and riding off into the sunset. So I got my girl, it's time for us to ride. Happy trails to you. God bless you all, we love you. Let's pray, and the pastors and deacons involved in the Lord's Supper, if you need to come forward while I pray, you come forward. Father, thank you for loving us when we didn't deserve it. Thank you for not giving us what we do deserve, but instead giving us Jesus. Thank you for all of us who have come to you, been restored to you, adopted into your family through our faith in Jesus Christ who died on the cross for us. Thank you, God, for this body of Christ as it exists right now. Thank you for all that it's been through, even the pain, because it's in the pain where your grace is most obvious to us. It's in the hard times when you do your greatest work. So thank you for all that we've been through together. Thank you for the promise of what you're going to do. This is your church. This is the body of Christ. It belongs to no one man and no one man's agenda. It belongs to you and your agenda. You have been faithful through all the history of this church. We know that you will be faithful in the future of this church. I pray you will bring this group of people together in humility toward one another in even such a way they've never known before. May each one here today, freshly today, discover that Jesus is deeper, richer, sweeter, better than anything this world affords. And may as we go forward as a church together, may we bring you all the honor and glory that you so richly deserve. Make us a lighthouse to this community where Jesus will be seen in us. We love you. We commit ourselves to you. We pray your blessing in Jesus' name. Amen.